uh, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Okay, then, all together. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. The good news of Christ. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all. So good to be here. Happy birthday to Matt, as we already sang. This is also the birthday, by the way, and we, I think Matt met, mentioned this last week, of the very first baby that I dedicated in this church. And one of my highlights was when I was in Lower Post a couple of visits ago, I gave kind of a call for ministry and a young man came up, or maybe 20 or so, and as I prayed with him and interacted with him, I began to realize that was the very first baby I dedicated in Lower Post. So he was the grandchild of Walter Francis, if you're wa watching. So Francis is a great nie uh, nephew. So I very excitedly called Aiden Pontelti over. I said, Aiden, you got to meet John. John, you got to meet Aiden. First babies I dedicated in Vancouver in Lower Post. Ooh, it was just this sweet connection. Yeah. It's fun being a pastor over the long haul. <laughs> Love one another. As I have loved you. Love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're in this liminal time, and in the text, Jesus is in this liminal time with his disciples, and we've defined liminal as an in-between place where you've, you're in this place where you can't go back to the way things were, but you don't know what's ahead. You're stuck in this in-between time, and it's the unknown and uncertainty and and. And it's Jesus' last words to his disciples before his, his suffering and death. And to make matters worse, he's just told them that they can't come where he's coming, even though they've been with him for three and a half years. And so there's this growing sense of dread, and it speaks to our time, doesn't it? It speaks to us being in this worldwide pandemic where we know 
that we can't go back to what was, but we don't know what's ahead, and we're stuck in this in-between place, and it's like this long tunnel where you can't hold your breath, and the novelty is gone when you're on a trip, and you're struggling with monotony, and apathy, and numbness. We've gone through all these emotions, haven't we? And we're kind of stuck here, and we're grieving our losses, but there's hope for the future as well, because the word liminal means threshold, which means doorway, which means perhaps a new beginning, perhaps new birth. So how do we counter this numbness that we're all struggling with in liminal time? Well, Jesus is talking to his disciples who are zoning out in this grief and numbness that they're going through. And he says, oh, I have a new commandment for you. And they perk right up. Oh, we're not done yet. And he says to them, love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. Oh, and by this will everyone know that you're mine if you love one another. Well, they kind of slip back into their seat again. They go, well, what's, what's new about that? If they're good Jews, good Jews love one another. It's in the Torah, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. It was part of their community. So what's new about this? Well, it wasn't new that they were to love one another. What the novelty seems to be is this part. As I have loved you. Oh, well, thanks for clarifying. But what does that mean? There's lots of communities where people die for each other, lay down their life for each other. That's not new. Some have suggested maybe it means Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. That's kind of dangerous territory because we know that he, he lived out self-care as well. So it's not a loving at the expense of caring for ourselves. So what does this mean? Well, there's a couple of suggestions, a couple of approaches we could take to this. The first might be To love one another as Jesus loved us is to, to follow his example, how he loved us. So we're to follow him. And, and this is informed by the chapter we're in, I think, a lot. John starts the chapter, as we began two weeks ago, by saying that Jesus, knowing that he'd come from God and was returning to God, it says he loved his own who were in the world. He, and I love this phrase, he loved them to the end. <laughs> So what does that mean? Well, I think the rest of the chapters, John elaborates on this, and he says that Jesus got up from the table and took the form of a slave and began to wash his disciples' feet. And we, we talked about that two weeks ago, didn't we? But here's the thing. Whose feet did he wash? He's going around the room washing the feet of each of these guys and there was a guy 
by the name of Judas. They washed his feet. The man that he knew was about to betray him. The man that he knew whose actions were about to cost him his life. He washed his feet. Then he came over to a guy named Peter, who at first objected. But when Jesus said, you got to let me do this so you aren't part of me, and Peter said, okay, go ahead. Knowing that this fellow, with all his big promises, you know that saying, promise little and deliver much? <laughs> Peter was the opposite. <laughs> promise big, deliver little, right? He knew he's about to deny him. And then the rest of them, he knew they were about to abandon him to a hostile crowd of accusers with no allies, no one to defend them. And he washed their feet. So when he was done, and he gets up and he takes some bread and he breaks it and he offers it, and the first person he offered it to was... Judas. You know what that means in Israeli culture? You are the guest of honor at this dinner. Are you getting the picture? How he loved us? In fact, when Judas came up to him in the garden and he kissed Jesus, Jesus said, friend, what do you want? He loved to the end. So Jesus was, he did lay it down his life. That wasn't new. But the difference between what the Jewish people understood at that time is you could lay down your life, but they would curse their torturers as they were dying. May God curse you and judge you and your family and your kids. That's how they would die as martyrs. Right? But Jesus introduced a new ethic. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he loved Judas to the end. And I love that Bono song that Nathan played <laughs> last week. I'm not sure where the theology fits in all this, but it actually offers hope for Judas at the end of the world. <laughs> but that's the love of God. It never stops. As C.S. Lewis said, the door to hell is locked on the inside. God doesn't lock us out. We lock ourselves in. So, perhaps this explains why our text begins with this explosion of glories. Judas runs out of the room and Jesus, it's like he gets all excited he goes, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified, and if God is glorified in him, then he'll be glorified, and he'll be glorified, glorified. The, the, the Greek word is doxa, doxa, doxa. That word means exalted, promoted, coronated. But what was he talking about? We know from John 12, he was talking about being lifted up on the cross. What we in our human minds would see as the most humiliating, debasing, shameful, painful, God said that's my glory because I, at last I get to show you how much I love you. God was glorified. So that's how Christ 
loved us. Here's the, but here's the clincher. We can't do that. We can't love like that. So I wonder if there's another approach to this. When Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, and I'm not saying this to, ex to exclude what I've just said. I think that's there as a description. Not a prescription, but a description of what the love of Christ looks like when this happens. As I have loved you. What if there was another way to interpret this? What if as I have loved you literally means to the degree that you allow me to love you, you will love as I love. We will love. It's, it will happen. It's a done deal. If you learn to let Christ love you. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. There's something about letting Jesus wash us, love us. I remember this, this truth on the worst day of grade 11 for me in high school. I had, it was the worst day because I got kicked off the basketball team and I was the team's high scorer. I was having a great year. I was actually, I think, the highest scorer in the, in the league. I was, if I wasn't, I was close. So I was scoring over 20, 20 points a game. So it must have been serious. <laughs> if I got kicked off the basketball team as the team's highest scorer, right? It must have been serious. Then, on the same day, my high school love interest dumped me. That's a bad day. And it was for the same reason, actually, I got kicked off the team. So what happened? Well, it was a bad day already before that happened. <laughs> so it's double bad, right? I was if there was this lunchtime basketball scrimmage, that we used to have, where we just had play pickup, and and we it was kind of just a few days before the biggest tournament of the year. We were going to travel to Grand Prairie, or I think it was Grand Prairie, northern Alberta, and uh, and so we were just practicing, and I was just missing my shots. I used to get so mad at my friends who'd go out and party and get drunk. The next day they'd come into the hangover and shoot. Couldn't miss a thing. Here's me trying to live clean and <laughs> couldn't hit a thing. I didn't understand that. And I was really mad this particular day. I was sewing. And I had a, okay, I was a Pentecostal kid, so I had to pick my sins very carefully. And I had a really bad cussing problem. Man, I had a mouth. And I just got more angry. And the angrier I got, the worse I played. And the worse I played, the more I cussed. And it was not sweet cussing, okay? Remember Wimber? <laughs> his, his wife says on the way into church, when he said, hell, I don't know, and she says to him, don't cuss. He says, that's not cussing. I'll show you cussing. <laughs> that's how I felt. 
Anyway, my coach was, was involved there. He said, he said, he kicked me off the team. He said, Gordy, go home. He said, we don't want that. You're poisoning the atmosphere. You're poisoning the team. We don't need this. Get out of here. I, and he was angry, and I was, I stomped off, went home. And somewhere along the way, I met my girl, and she said it was done. So I got home utterly devastated and at the end of myself. And alone in my bedroom, I picked up a living Bible that had been gifted to me by my parents that I rarely used, <laughs> surprisingly. And I opened it. For some reason, it opened to these words. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them, so here I am a teenager, right? I'm reading this. And could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what was going to happen in the future, if I knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I burned a, I would burn alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. I read on, love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to them, no matter what the cost. You will always believe in them, always expect the best of them, and always stand your ground in defending them. And I remember reading those words, and instinctively, I had this sense that this is a description of how Jesus loves. This is what he's like. You could insert his name. Jesus, or God, is patient and kind. This is how God is. And I just instinctively had this sense that he was with me as I was reading that. And I just bowed my head and I said, Jesus, I could never love like this. It's, it's out of my pay grade. It's out of my league. Can't do that. Can you please take over? And at that moment, like John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed and in a way that I'll never be able to describe, I felt perhaps for the first time in my life at the very core of my being that I was loved simply for who I was. And there was nothing I could ever do or, or not do that would ever change that. It was a remarkable experience. I felt his patience towards me. I felt his forgiveness towards me. I felt... His understanding for why I was the way I was, that false self is a cruel taskmaster. 
You never, it's never satisfied. It's a slave driver. You're driven, driven, driven. And no matter how good I played, I had to play better. No matter how many points I scored, I had, I had to score more points. And I was always comparing to cruel taskmaster. And that day, I felt a new beginning, a new birth, a new doorway. It was my own liminal experience, and it came out into a new birth, and it changed my life. I began to love people. I wish I could say that I rode gloriously into the sunset. But I have to tell you that the religious false self is even more deceptive than that. And I got into a religious system that had the same values. You're valued by how much you achieve and what people think about you and how you perform. And then I had another face plant at the age of 30. And at the age of 30, after 10 years in ministry, I had to learn all over again, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loves us. Now, my loving is simply a result of letting him love me, and I'm still on that journey. So I think it's, it's no accident that, th that this passage about loving one another is right in the wake of the biggest face plant in history. Don't you think? Think about it. He just said, love one another. Peter gets uncomfortable, and he changes the subject. He says, oh, Lord, let's go back to what you were just saying a bit earlier about going away. What do you mean you're going away? We can stick with you, and I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus goes, right. Right? There's that thing, I'll lay down my life. They knew what it was to lay down their lives for one another. They understood that. Jesus said, really? You'll lay down your life for me? The truth is, before the rooster, you know what that is? What is that? What's this? As a church, church steeple, right? All over Europe, you have these. I couldn't believe it. Germany, Switzerland, I think Italy. What's with the rooster on top of the church? <laughs> well, a rooster makes a good weather vane, first of all. So that's, but here's the deal. I didn't know this until I looked into it a little more. In 600 AD, Gregory the, the Great, the Pope who kind of sponsored St. Benedict with the monasteries, initiated the rooster as the symbol of Christianity. Isn't that amazing? Now the rooster, of course, there's this mix, right, of failure, face planting, but new beginning. When you're restored, Peter, encourage your brothers. It's a new beginning. You're going to go through a liminal time, Peter. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. Let your faith not fail. And then in the ninth century, Pope Nicholas ordered it to be placed in the top of every church. Now, it's no longer mandatory, but you see it a lot. I'm not sure how Peter felt if it was a good deal that his failure is reminded, everybody's reminded everywhere you go of what he did. <laughs> But it doesn't, he doesn't seem to mind, because it's in all four Gospels. And in Mark, who was, by the way, informed by Peter, describes the denial very vividly. Your face plant, Peter, is going to be a doorway. So let me give you a modern-day example. Does anybody know who this guy is? This is Gareth. Who is he? Hey? Some guy. Some guy, but you got to say it with a British accent. Gareth Southgate is the England manager, coach for the England soccer team, right? 
Now in the 2020 Euro, those of you that watched it know that England, again, they do this very well, lost in penalties, right? They just have a gift for that. Anyway, it's just a long story. So they were in the, in the final against Italy, and they, they lost in penalty kicks to Italy in the final. So Italy won the Euro Cup. But it so happened that all the three players that missed the penalty were players of color. And there was a vicious online racial abuse that hit these guys. And the first to defend them was who? Gareth Southgate. Look at him. See that? And he, he pushed back at all the abuse and he said, we made the best choices of who to take these penalties. There was nobody better to take them. And as a team, we've won together and we take the loss together. So where do you think all that comfort came from? Hmm? Evangeline? From God. And how does God comfort us? Who is this? Anybody know who this is? This is Gareth Southgate in 1996. And guess what? England lost the European Cup in the Final Four because of a guy who missed a penalty kick. And it was this guy. Same coach. So here we are, liminal time, as I've loved you in your face plants, so love one another. When you are strengthened, encourage your siblings, brothers, sisters, siblings, encourage one another because you're family. We go down together, we rise together. We're all in this together. When one suffers, we all suffer. And let me just say that I'm preaching to the choir, I know that. You guys are amazing, the way you love one another. Sometimes I feel like I'm not a Christian when I look at some of the ways that you guys are so generous and sacrificial and give of yourselves. So like Paul, I just say, hey, you know what you're doing? Just keep on doing that. So let Jesus love you, but it's easier said than done because the false self we always, the false self looks for love in all the wrong places, and we still do that as Christians. And, be, and choose your community wisely, because the values of your community are either based on the false self or on the real. Choose real. Choose the beloved. Choose your community wisely. We need that. So reflect. And uh, I'm going to invite the people, all of you dear ones, on Zoom to join us in this. Take a moment to reflect on places in your life where you are experiencing liminality. Maybe you've experienced a face plant, personal failure, you've come to the end of yourself, or those emotions I showed on this, the phases of grief and loss, anger, loss, grief. And just invite Christ, as I did in my room as a grade 11 teenager, just to come and be with you in that. 
Now let me also say that a lot of the way Christ comes to us is embodied through one another. That's part of this. But there are times where we stop and we're just in silence. We learn to, in solitude and silence to be with God, with Christ, and allow Christ to be with us, to be at home with ourselves. Our, we are the temple. There's two temples, right? It's all, it's all one temple, but your body is the temple. You are the temple of God. There's a part of you that is eternal because you're part of God. And, and God comes to you from the inside outward, and you go to God from the outside inward. Meet there. That's what happened to me in grade 11. I didn't know what was going on. It took me 30 years of learning theology to figure that out. But I came home to myself, and I realized I'm beautiful. I'm loved by God. I'm this most incredible, unique creation of God, and so are you. Just invite him to be with you. If, if, if you don't, if that's not where you are right now, if you're the, the 1%, then I have this little thing I put in the bulletin, and I think we have it on this chat box for those of you on Zoom, the one another's of the New Testament. And maybe you can reflect on opportunities that God, the, the one another's of the New Testament are just elaborations of love one another. It, right? It was just, it's descriptions of how, by the way, the early church did this for 300 years. They were known for how, behold, how they love one another. Something happened after 300 AD, and ah! then we started religious wars and divisions, and, but there's always been a remnant. Not that they've been gone. It's just kind of not this big system anymore. It's, just grassroots, right? So we can still do this. So how could words make things better to ask the so-and-so question? If you're a child and you're not quite sure what, what this question means, how could words make things better for someone this week? What opportunities do we have? Let's take silence. I've blabbed long enough. Let's take a couple of minutes and just be with this question, these questions. And where do you need Christ to come to you? What face plants? What devastation? What failure? What end of yourself? Or if, if that's not resonating, what doorways do you have today to love? 